July 14, 2003. It's the Watt from Pedro Show.
going nowhere. Bad boys for life. What from Pedro show? In stereo. Yeah. Uh, the Love Grotto at Pleasure Point. Somewhere north of the equator. East of the west of the Rocky Mountains. East of the Yalu River. Maybe Pedro. Is there a new sky view? What's that, brother man? Sky view where? Where is this? Oh, yeah. That's a great shot. Damn. From a satellite, huh? Brother Matt's got a new map of Pedro. 6,500 feet. 6,500 feet. Damn. So, uh, well, it's probably not 6,500 feet because that would only be a mile. <laughs> it's probably 65,000 feet. Oh, yeah. That's like it. <laughs> but who knows maybe it was a submarine under the waves anyway it's uh, summertime July 14, 2003 here in Pedro and I know it's been three and a half months since the sh last radio show many moons many many moons I did a tour in between you've had some adventures had some adventures survived them all somehow did number tour uh, tour number fifty, um, but uh, we're going to get back in the swing of things here. We've been uh, missing it big time, right, brother Matt? Yeah, totally. He's going to be on his uh, spin cycle a little later in the show. We started off with John Coltrane, like always, with uh, "I Talk to the Trees." Little tuba touch. Little tuba touch. Cool. And after that, we had Raymond Pettibone live from. Uh, a year ago when he got, well, a year and a half ago when he got the Han Prize in Cologne, Germany for his art, he brought on these uh, three cats who have a band called Blank, and they uh, collaborated to cover that timeless tune, <laughs> We're an American Band. What from Pedro show. So, what's new this summer? Well... I got a kayak. I've been paddling. Not only do I pedal and pluck, I paddle too now. In the harbor here, I go out Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays. And um, this Saturday, I uh, paddled the circumference of uh, the outer harbor cool. up to Pier 400. I went back. Dirk, you know, like I was saying, he's moved across the road, but he walked down with me to Cabrillo Beach, inside the breakwater. and uh, Although once I went in the open sea. We'll talk about that later. But uh, Saturday I shoved off, said bite him, he's going to walk down the pier. I paralleled the pier, then paralleled the breakwater all the way to the automated lighthouse at Angel's Gate. Then I went across Angel's Gate to that beacon on the other side that's on a pole. There was some intense current there. And coming on sideways on you. So, and from there, I 
paddle to Pier 400, which is the uh, landfill extension in Terminal Island. Bunch of uh, poles, logs, and stuff just yeah, jammed in them rocks. Like industrial. Yeah. Cranes all over, yeah. tops of the rocks all white with the bird shit. Lots yeah. of pelicans, a lot of seals there by the automated lighthouse. For them out there. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> then from there, I went to the end of the uh, little landmass where the Coast Guard compound is, but it's really only on the west side, I discovered. Yeah, yeah. Because the south and the east side's all prison. Yeah. They got signs that say fi- stay 50 yards <laughs> yeah. clear. So then there, I paddled across the main channel to the warehouse one and then across the channel where there's a boat yard, a dry dock, and there was a huge giant crane in there dredging buckets, huge buckets. Could have one bucket full could have been a hundred kayaks it, full of watts. It's a trip that whole process of dredging the harbor, making it deeper. And, and then, then the silt coming back stuff there. Making the the landfill more, and you can charge more money for all the containers and ships and everything. You just keep making more land. All right, from there I paddled across the channel that leads to the marina, and then I came in. So about almost two hours of paddling. Cool. I wear a big brim hat, long sleeve T-shirt because you're in the sun. Yeah. It's kind of intense on the forearms. Popeye muscles are going to grow. <laughs> Wrists are kind of intense. It's sort of like punching. Left, right, left, right. But it's a little rhythm going. There's some rhythm. Uh, yeah, there's some wrist action, too, as you lift the paddles in and out of the water. So you just sold it the intense. whole time, huh? Yeah, it only holds one. It's nine and a half feet long. I don't have a garage, so I actually keep it in the boat mm-hmm. up on the shelf. I've got uh, little latches and harnesses I built for each end so it don't go forward or back when I hit the brake or accelerate. Uh-huh. And I have a little dolly so I can park here on bluff for free instead of seven bucks in the lot. And then I wheel it down. The dolly breaks apart and I stick it in the, there's a back compartment in the kayak so I paddle with it. Oh, so cool, no donate. Cool. You know the hot tip I just got? What's oh, that? That works cool. If you do, you've been doing the polar bear thing, if you're a member of polar bear club you get free parking down there. Is that right? How much does that cost? I think 20 bucks a year. Oh, wow. This is seven a day if you go down there. But, you know, it's not that hard wheeling it down, right yeah, down the sidewalk. Cool. It's intense. I'll tell you about one time I, I went in the open sea. That was wild. See some wild Inside the harbor. Oh, I saw a whole bunch on that trip. Yeah, when in the harbor, mainly I'm seeing uh, seals and pelicans. Once I saw a dead seal on the beach. That was sad, a big bull. I heard there's a lot of algae that the fish are eating in the seals. A hospital up at the practice pad that takes care of seals and oil birds. To say they do about 120 seals a year, and they've already done 200. And we're only halfway done this year. So uh, I see some uh, cormorants, birds, some ducks. Uh, but mainly that's... Yeah, I mean, it is a harbor, so, you know, it ain't mm. the cleanest of water. In fact, that's one of the reasons I had to go into open sea, because mm. the bacteria count was so high. I'll, have to, I'll tell you about that journey later. Uh, it's, You know, it's it's trippy. It's more private than peddling in a way, because, you know, there's not people on the sidewalks or cars. The the one heavy thing is the wakes put out by the boats, because mm. only in the channels they got the five-mile-an-hour restriction. So as they're making for the 
Angel's Gate, the break. Angel's Gate is what we call the hole in the breakwater. Because LA's really not a natural harbor. It's got a big breakwater around it. Yeah, once they open it up. They jam. And the a tractor tug jammed in front of me and it put out a wake that had a white ca- you know, it was like a wave. Uh-huh. And and then the, it has a set right behind it, right? Mm-hmm. Become just like ocean ones sort of so you're up and down and you don't want to pearl in a kayak. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't want to get sideways for sure, so you plow into it. Uh Fishing boat, this one clown went really fast in front of me, pulling a dinghy and put up a big wake. But, you know, I got lifted up, but I haven't gone into the drink. Yeah, start shooting. My friend Marty Lyon, he uh, does um, Outrigger, uh-huh. right? Um, like Hawaii 5 style, five, six guys a month. So he took me out in the one-man ones in Long Beach, uh, Belmont Shore, Maple Park. Mm. And there's a kayak rent there. So I tried it several out to see which kind I liked. Went in the canals and got used to it. I wear a life jacket. I think it's $250 fine if you don't. But, you know, I'm a good swimmer and stuff, but I don't want to roll it over. Yeah, if you're going to be out there for a while, it's nice to have a little help bobbing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the water's warm now, but I can imagine... Yeah, those things are pretty boring. When winter comes. I'll get some kind of crazy buoyancy factor. I don't know. I mean, mine's one you sit inside, so it could take on water. So the compartment in the back's water sealed. But you wouldn't want it to fill up. It's not like the sit-on tops, which is a big plastic bubble. I don't think those can sink. But Mm -hmm. this might take on too much water. As it is, and you can go in water only a few inches deep. Really shallow, and it tracks good. It's got like kind of a keel, no rudder, so you're doing all your steering with the paddles. Mm-hmm. But it's a good, it's a trippy thing. And then for the bike, I got the new seats, just got pads that hold me in the ass, no middle part. Uh-huh. So a lot more uh, comfort zone there. Um, on tour, which by the way, I want to thank Jerry Trebitich, Pete Mazich, Paul Rossler. Uh, for all playing, all those guys playing with me, Pete and Jared, the first six weeks, Paul and Jared, last two weeks, they did great. Uh, it was a really neat tour. Met a lot of neat people. Played some interesting gigs. Of course, it's all up on the Hoot page in my diaries. If you want to read about that, um, we played with a band in Lawrence, Kansas, near the end of the tour called Jucifer. And uh, they're a trippy band, I have to say. Trippy, trippy to say the least. Uh, got to the gig in the huge motorhome, and a trailer was parked out front. And um, yeah, these guys are just two man band drum, guitar, well, man and a lady. And the, the guitar, the lady on guitar has about 16 amps. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It's an entire wall. It's gigantic. And so if you're thinking white stripes or whatever, <laughs> no. <laughs> they got their own sound. They're trippy. And uh, I'm going to play you a song of theirs coming right up. And then I, they came and played L.A. a month ago, and I... Uh, not even a month ago. 
uh, a few weeks ago, and I did an interview with him. So I'll play that next. So from Athens, Georgia. Well, really, they're living in this motorhome now. They said they've been on tour for the last two years. Wow. <laughs> Long tour. <laughs> Put me to shame. So there they are, Jucifer, Watt from Pedro Show.
There's some sick <laughs> wind, like between Fargo and Minneapolis. And yeah, no, really, really. How many outside there? Overturned now? vehicles, and there was one. Uh, I've never had this experience in my life before. We went under a bridge, and there was something about the bridge and the strong wind that made oh, no. it almost lifted us up. We weighed twenty thousand pounds. Yeah. I mean, it almost lifted us up. Was just, oh my god! <laughs> like oh. I've never felt that in that vehicle. <laughs> That's just freaky. So then we had to go like 25 miles an hour for like the rest of it. <laughs> 200 miles or something. It was terrible. It's so scary. I did a 340 once in Wyoming. Oh, really? So, like, I like to end at Halloween, <laughs> you know, and then start up again in April because I'm just afraid of ice on the road. I thought we were all done. I mean, we, we toured through December 7th. We said we ended up in Georgia. Took a couple weeks off and started back up in January. And the worst weather we had was in April. <laughs> How long have you guys been a band? About um, 10 or 11 years. Wow. Wow. Wow, I was still on fire hose. When did fire hose come? 93. 93? Wow. Also, it was right at the end. Uh, we were playing uh, out forever. It took us so long to get there. Oh, to start touring? Yeah. I mean, it was like... How big was the setup? We started, I was playing through two cabinets. Two cabinets? Yeah. And, th and then we, like, especially when we started, like, maybe more than now, like, a lot of our songs were, like, almost instrumental. And they'd have, like, one singing verse that was really, you know, 15 seconds long or something. And we started playing in clubs, and the sound guys would, like, crank up my vocals really loud, and drums would be loud, and then... There wouldn't yeah. be guitar at all, like if you were out front, you know, because I guess, like, with a female singer, they think that everybody, you know, you should hear her singing loud. Madonna. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so then I started working on getting more amps. My whole goal was to get to the point where no one could control what my guitar sounds like. <laughs> I counted 15 cabinets. How many amps? Um, 11 or 12? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Who's your inspiration on guitar? I, I'm a weirdo. Like, I didn't want to be a guitar player. Uh -huh. I wanted to make songs. Like, that was my whole... But I've been trying to figure it out. And, like, the best I can say is that... I mean, I didn't have siblings, so I didn't have... Uh, I grew up in the sticks. I didn't have like like I got a meat man on tape on a tape that somebody made meat and man. handed me. Right? You ever met Tesco? Yeah. Yeah. And I got a like minor friend. Yeah. Got um some black flag and like REM. And other than that, that was just about it as far as what was happening like underground in music when I was like a teenager or whatever. And then I had my parents stuff, which was like they had pretty good taste. They liked a lot of diverse like jazz and 
classical as well as rock and folk and stuff. Like that. So I listened to that stuff, but like the first things I had to learn on guitar were two Cream songs and a Dead Kennedy song and an R.E.M. song. And then it was Dylan for like a year, and I that was all that was the only song. But then as soon as I finished learning those songs, I didn't learn anybody else's songs for like years and years and years. And I was just like working like on your own. my own stuff. She didn't really look up to another guitar player. Yeah, I want. Yeah. I uh. The low end thing is intense. <laughs> Do you use a box? It's an octave divider or something. No. God, there's so much low end coming out of the guitar. <laughs> I mean, more than my bass. <laughs> it's wild. It's just the amps pumping but, out yeah, the lows, huh? If you played your bass through all my amps, it'd probably, <laughs> <laughs> it'd probably beat my guitar. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I mean, thanks, uh, yeah. So you're not using, you know, like Hendrix uses thing that would give you an octave under. Did he use an octave thing? Yeah, sometimes. He used everything. Wow. I didn't even know they had octave things back then. Yeah, a thing that'll like, it's, it fakes right, an octave right. under what you're playing. Wow. I heard people talking at the Kansas game, swearing that's what you were using. Yeah, that's no way. That's <laughs> we couldn't. We, it's it's so simple. Like, Do you use boxes? I use a distortion. It's a distortion. Box. It's a distortion. Yeah. Yeah. Things just EQ, just EQ and tuning. <laughs> okay. All you tune down. Yeah. How how much? Really? I mean, is the strings real? Yeah, we tuning. couldn't even. We tried to use a uh, tuner once and it was flopping all over the place. Oh, wow. Like it, yeah, it was actually going. We had this really nice stage tuner and it was just going. We were so excited because I used to play an old, I used to play an old Mustang. I mean, that was a higher tuning than I use now, I think, because I used to play mm -hmm. the Mustang and it really wouldn't stay in tune very well, tuned down. And, uh,. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one that I tried the tuner on, and then I just gave up on tuner. So. Fortunately, I, I somehow I think all of my like freak out energy is in this hand, so yeah. I don't strum too hard, so I don't like usually knock it out of tune that way. <laughs> but you're not doing E A D G. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I know that uh, when I try to play guitar, because I played guitar for a long time, like you know when I was in junior high school and stuff, and I. Uh, uh, they all these cover songs and stuff, and then I try to play them on her guitars. Doesn't work. <laughs> you, just, you just came up with the tuner. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know that that one string before the high E is completely, and of course the low E is just. I don't know what the hell it is. <laughs> I, I really don't. She doesn't She holds the guitar up and puts it against her ear when when she's not going through amps and sings the notes and tunes to her voice. Oh, wow. Like a ukulele. Yeah. <laughs> a dog has fleas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So it's kind of innate, uh, organic. Yeah, I was way. really, like, taught myself everything. Yeah. Much. I mean, I, you know, somebody would teach me something here and there that, that I could then add, you know, but... So I don't really... So you didn't look up to bands either then oh, for yeah. for a style for a style. Uh, that was good. Uh, yeah, that was everybody. Yeah, I like it. Uh, thanks a lot. You don't have any recordings. Or anything.
Not that I have any money, but. <laughs> well, they have on the side. I just bought all this shit, so I'm not broke. But if you guys you had anything, I would have bought it. You okay. should be on the side of it. Like at least one of the stores around here, and we're online. Look online. It's, okay. it's J U C I F E R dot com. Okay. Yeah, that if okay. they have a Best Buy or a Sam Goody, you can find it in there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I said you guys just got this all there. Yeah, yeah, you can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I started off by playing guitar right first, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, about uh, yeah, the school systems up in DC had a really good music department. Always like uh, able to take music lessons from shit when I was, I guess like seven. I was wow. able to start taking like violin and stuff, and then uh, and then once I did the violin for a while, I, I um, of course wanted to play guitar. It was you know, exciting, and uh, me and my dad used to watch uh, Saturday Night Live together, and uh, we'd watch the bands. You know, and we'd always, I'd always ask him questions. He played guitar and stuff. He was really into surf venture stuff, you know, like moss rights and stuff. And uh, and so I'd always ask him some questions about equipment and, and how you know, certain people were doing things. So I really wanted to play guitar, and he had this guitar laying around. And he said uh, that uh, he'd let me use his guitar if I could um, save enough money to buy strings. And I was getting like, you know, 50 cents a week allowance. <laughs> so, and I, you know, a pack of strings was like, you know, 375 or something. So I had to save, like, for, I guess, about three or four weeks and not buy any candy or anything. And, uh, and I finally saved enough to buy strings. So we went to the mall and it was at a record store, you know, like, used to sell guitar strings at record stores. Oh, yeah. Stores. And I, we bought a pack of strings and, uh, he took it, you know, took it home and he put the strings on the guitar, but then, um, I forgot about the amp part, and so for a while, like, I just played it, it's a Moss right with, uh, um, no amp, and then, uh, after, you know, a couple of weeks, I guess, he realized I was trying to, you know, be serious and stuff, because he gave me a pitch pipe, too, so I could learn the tune, and then, uh, after a couple of weeks, he, uh, my dad was like an electronics genius, he, he, you know, he'd grab TVs out of people's trash and stuff and, and fix them, and that's like one of the things that he used to do is just walk around and, and go through people's trash, and if they threw out a stereo and something, he'd go home and fix it, and uh, he made me an amp uh, using a old tube uh, um, receiver, and uh, he just wired it to the speakers, so it was like a stereo, and it wasn't loud at all. And, um, <laughs> it's actually the the clicking of hitting the strings was almost as loud as the you know it's like you know you can hear the the pick hitting the strings louder than that and uh, so anyway I just started messing around with that and I got into a band when I was like 13 and uh, I finally got a decent amp uh, around that time because I I was trying to play with that but the first time I went to play with these guys when I was 13 I had that amp. The stereo amp. <laughs> it was like, you know, like I walk in and I got two you know, stereo speakers and a, and a, it's like, and they were just like, they probably just thought I was gonna like start playing music on the stereo or something. But uh, yeah, it was like you couldn't even hear it over the cymbals and stuff. And, and uh, but anyway, uh, started doing. I played guitar and bands uh, for a while, and then I, I uh, got really into bass guitar uh, when I turned like 15. And that was like what I really wanted to do for 
Yeah, I was just like, I thought that was it. And uh, when I met Amber, I was still playing bass. And uh, and I was playing guitar. Right. And we had a drummer for about three weeks. Oh, so you're a trio. We're a trio. And the drummer was really young. He's a real freak. And I'm glad that he quit then. Yeah. Because he would have quit eventually or we would have had to kick him out. And uh, Yeah, it was only about uh, three weeks. Right. Yeah. He was, uh, the thing that was really sad is we were an awesome trio. And yeah, it was, it really was cool. like him combined with us was really great and it, it meshed in this weird way and yeah, there was great yeah. energy and we were a really cool band and we played like two or three shows like really immediately and people liked it and like some of the people that were in the cool bands at the time in town were like into us and we were all excited and then this drummer guy decided that he was just leaving he's like I'm going to leave now I'm going to hitchhike around the country <laughs> and, so, and so we yeah. said, fuck. And about a year later, we played. Like, it took us that long. Well, it took me that long to learn to play the drums. <laughs> yeah. Just started it up yeah. right there. Yeah. I mean, wow. It, it worked for a little while. I mean, I was just like, I'm just going to try to play drums just so we could write songs. Because it's really hard to write songs without a rhythm section. We didn't want to use a, a, a drum machine and stuff. So I, mean, I could kind of play a beat. I could play the B-52 song. The, the, girls? Yeah, I could do that <laughs> that beat. <laughs> so like so we I, learned a couple of Gogas covers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we did. A, I had a a red sparkle um, late '60s Ludwig kit that we got from a music store in Athens. And remember, we went in there. We went into yeah. the, and that's actually a big reason we started. Um, like I started playing drums was because of this drum kit because uh, I was playing a uh, I had a floor tom I only had a floor tom and uh, I don't think shit I didn't even have a snare I was using like uh, that box and I uh, yeah. duct tape um, uh, fucking uh, aluminum foil and paper and then I uh, duct tape on top of it so I had a snap to it and uh, there's a there was a cardboard box about this tall and uh, and I had a kick drum pedal. And uh, and remember we practiced in that room with the heater and I used the heater as a as a tool oh, just so yes. we could like get. I was I was trying to remember why we practiced in there because it was like right. it was this tiny little like hallway between four rooms and it was where the furnace was and I just had a flashback of playing there and I couldn't remember why. And uh, yeah, so we practiced that way for weeks and weeks and then uh and we went in this um, music store one day and they had this red sparkle. Uh, it just looked so cool. And, uh, oh yeah, that's great. Welcome to Los Angeles. Yeah, no. <laughs> and uh, uh, we were just like, we have to have this thing. And the guy gave us a good. Uh, <laughs> the guy gave us a, uh, a deal where we could pay it off um, week by week, or something like fifty bucks a week. And, and we were really broke at that point. We were just like, oh. We can do it, you know. We'll just we'll pay fifty dollars. That's my guitar. I had that That's old right. that she had a, like red Mustang. She had a Mustang that was and it, red and it was sparkle, and they matched. And we were just like, wow, that's so really cool. Right. So we got the size, the long neck, or the short. They had a long one and a short one. I think it's a short one. Yeah, I think it is too. It's, it's got the mother of pearl a pick guard on it. Um, what the hell happened? The, that. But the red set. Oh yeah, we just then I started playing the red set. And that's when the. Uh, we tried to learn it, and we were kind of like, at first we thought we were looking for a drummer, and then we decided that Ed would play drums, and we were already like really into writing songs together, like it was Plus I really started 
Did really you guys know? Did you know about flat duo jets? Yeah, we actually. I mean, I, I did. I never did. thought of us in contact with them. Like I did see them, and I like a long time ago. There was another band called Chickasaw Bud Puppies. Right. I remember. There was two people, and somebody was talking to me about this recently, and I was like, God, you know, I never thought of us in contact with those bands because what the what we were doing the music was so unrelated. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, there's no blues, and that's really. Like we weren't, if there, well, you weren't especially doing back then, like there's yeah. probably more clues than us now than there was then, and it's still not very much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was so like, like we were, I mean, my guitar sound, like as soon as I discovered amplifiers, I was totally hooked on sound and like distortion and like dissonance. Low end. Low end, and just like, you know, really basically what I now have is what I was working towards with first with one amp and then with two and then with three. <laughs> but, Fifteen. Right. <laughs> Fifteen. Maybe someday more. <laughs> but yeah, it was like shit, I lost my train of that. Anyway. No, I, I just brought that up, the two, the, the bands without bass guitars. Right. Yeah. That, that, those were the first ones I saw that oh, were yeah. doing that. Definitely. I saw the flat two jets in like 89, I guess. I mean, that was like, shit, that was, I guess, three, four years after uh, Athens Inside Out came out. Uh, that's how I knew about them. Yeah. I saw that movie. Yeah, that's, I would, that's yeah, how I, I played found out about them, too. And I was just like, man, they're, they're they great. Were yeah. Yeah, those guys are awesome. We're gonna try to do some shows with them. Yeah, yeah they're playing again. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Which would be really neat. Like, it's weird how people just end up like, going and, and arriving at sort of the same destination, and they were, basically, they were without. Really scared. It's like a three thousand dollar. After we and played so, for a while. Well, when he met me and we started playing together, he was immediately like, "Oh, you must really like Black Sabbath and the Melvins and like five other bands or whatever." I was about that I never had heard. I mean, I heard the Black Sabbath radio and I loved them, and I love you know. I mean, I definitely was attracted to that music, but I had never heard the Melvins. I missed like the only grunge I got was the stuff that was so incredibly mainstream that you couldn't miss it. Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam, which I didn't really care for. Nirvana, which I did like a lot. And, and Nirvana was like the first band in where I felt like a band that I I was attracted to was actually really popular. You know, besides like the seventies rock that I like. I didn't really pretty well. I don't know. I loved Pony. That was my first album. Body, which is really funny because it's very little to do with, I think, the way we sound and stuff. But but with the Melvins, the first time uh, that we played with them, I was like, oh, wow, it's really awesome, you know. But constantly people have been like, oh, you must have been really influenced by the Melvins. I didn't. I mean, now I've heard them, but... Yeah, it's, it's kind of too late to human minds they want to categorize oh, yeah, we, did. we had to go on early reference they made us go on early I'm tonight that, that the melvins those guys grew up on a lot of the same music that i grew up on they got the 70s rock and they got the punk stuff that happened you know that was like the more street, I don't know, the less straightforward and the more like weird, far out punk rock yeah. that happened like in the early 80s, like they were getting that probably a lot more of it than I was getting. 
but I got some of that. And I think for me, which is really funny, it's like, I mean, I remember Devo. I was little, but I remember Devo, and they were awesome and really cool. And nobody called it punk, you know, nobody, I mean, it was just that weird music that was yeah. cool for some reason. But, and then the hardcore stuff, to me, at, compared to now's punk, is equally like there's this ratio of like you know that was really cool to me when I was a kid and now it seems so homogenized yeah. and recycled and just non non offensive non weird <laughs> <laughs> not punk at all really yeah. and I was I like I was the only person in my town and granted it was a small town I was the only person in my town who walked listen to anything like that or wanted to wear combat boots or wanted to have a mohawk or anything like that and all of my friends my five friends were hippies or gay because they were the only people who were also weird enough to like kind of relate to me and we didn't have anything in common as far as music we went to or, or that's what I try to tell like a couple of my friends who are you know too young to remember anything past like 90 you know, right? <laughs> as far as music, you know, and all, all they, I mean, they can listen to it, but they weren't there, you know, in the in that world. And I was, I try to tell them, like, you know, REM and the B-52s and, you know, Black Flag and uh, Susie and the Banshees and the Go-Go's and all of them were punk. Because punk just meant it wasn't mainstream it wasn't going to get played no on the rules. radio unless it was college radio yeah. and you had to look really hard to find it and if you liked it you weren't going to be likely to find a bunch of other people who liked it especially if you didn't live in a big city <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it was just like this this like sort of gasket where, you, where everything that didn't fit in got thrown and it didn't need a sound at all you're going to have to start putting that stuff away because the cops are gonna come. Okay. Because the fire hydrant. Okay. You got it. You guys through the history of music, and there's always some overhyped, bloated crap that people are being sold and are buying, and then there's always something else under the surface. And every once in a while, very rarely, something good gets above, you know, and becomes popular. But that's the way, like, I, I just added something to our mailing list because I got really curious because people would come and see us, say, just for the sake of argument, Chicago. Okay, we go to Chicago, we play a show. I talked to a bunch of people at Merchandise that I recognize their face if I see them again. I don't see them for two shows in a row when we go back to Chicago. And then on the third show back, they're there and they're like, man, I'm so glad you came back. And I'm like, where were you? We were here twice. <laughs> so I've added this thing to our mailing list that says, how did you find out about the show? And it's really cool to read it every night because, you know, it's different ways. But a lot of the time, it's my friend got me into you or my friend told me or I'm in a band and, you know, we played with you or whatever. And it's really cool that that's, I mean, to me, that's the most exciting thing to see in that space on the list is that, Somebody told me about it, and I, and I like cared enough to check it out.
Watt from Pedro Show. That was uh, Gun Sick off of their uh, The Lambs EP. Before that, an interview with Jucifer, Ed Namber, outside of Spaceland in uh, Silver Lake, June 30, 2003. And before that, we had them doing uh, off the uh, Lambs EP a song called Platinum High. Interesting people. Interesting band. Trippy. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> cool sound. Yeah. It's a big sound. And um, interesting perspective. Uh, we were talking while they, that was going on. We were talking about that Stooge gig I did. Their first gig in 29 years at Coachella on April 27th. At uh, in the desert there, I flew back from tour. I had l- played the night before Memphis with the second man and Pete and Jer. Well, Jer's wife Kel and his baby daughter Riley flew in and they drove to North Carolina to wait for me. A couple days later, I flew and we joined them and we did uh, you know four or five more weeks of tour. But I got really sick. On the way back from Memphis, the sickness must have been coming on, but it really hit me when I got back to L.A. And so I did two days of practice with Ron, Scotty, and Iggy. And, man, they were tough. I didn't really want to let on that I was hurting. So, uh, you know, I just bit the bullet. Iggy asked me to wear a T-shirt, so I did that. Well, Scotty brought me one that somebody gave him with uh, Dave Alexander, who was there the original bass player, he died in 1975. And uh, it was tough doing the prax, but uh, he was a very interesting man. I mean, very focused. We went over every beginning, every ending, every transition. And when he prax, it's not just like, uh, you know, whatever walk through it's like a gig he's jumping around and hollering and it was like i had my first prac was like six or seven hours i had my own private stooges show for all that time wow and then the next day we did a few hours uh and i made it through that i got to the gig the rest of the time i was on the deck you know just burning up fever and all this when i got back to pedro and then uh, sunday was the gig and drove out to the desert. I saw the tail end of Sonic Youth. And uh, the trailer where we, you know, they had like dressing room was trailer or something. And Sonics was next to us. So I talked with Thurston and Steve Shelley, Jim O'Rourke, Kim. But I had to like calm, you know, be calm because I was getting all weak. And then the fever came on me really hard, really hard close to showtime where I was in big, big shakes. And you can read about this. I wrote about it in the diary, but let me tell you here, listening audience. Uh, I mean, I don't didn't think I was going to be able to hold the bass. You know, Ron saw me and he was looking worried. You know, like I said, I hadn't let on really to my condition. And Ian McKay was there to do some Quincy's answer thing or something. I didn't see that, but can imagine it was probably pretty trippy and he puts a blanket on me well I kind of rolled up in this blanket to try to get the chill off because I was shaking so hard 
it's kind of memories back to the sickness a few years ago. Anyway, and he's hugging me and trying to get warmness in me. And Flea comes over because they were playing after us, and they were in the trailer on the other side. And uh, he's hugging me, trying to get me warm and stuff. Both these guys. And then Flea goes, wait a minute, we got a nurse for chili peppers that helps us when we're sick, gives us vitamins. So I think her name was Sahara or something. She comes, this nurse lady puts uh, vitamins in my arm with a syringe. It took like 15 minutes to push it in and like B12 and this stuff. And it worked. I I felt a warmness from inside and... uh, Oh, five minutes before we go on, you know, they put me in a golf cart and uh, I'm on stage. I'm doing the gig. I actually have CDs people have given me of the gig, so we'll play you some of the songs a little later. But we're at the end of the first hour. Let me just say that for being such a sick dude, man, you fucking rocked. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, coming at you soon. This end of hour one, hour two, coming up. Watt from Pedro Show, July 14, 2003. July 14, 2003, it's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro Show. Mr. Gina Connor needs to, Mr. Gina Cohen, sorry. Oh, please. <laughs> We're going to break up again. <laughs> She's. That's <laughs> uh, just Gene now. Um. Are you rusting something? Am I covering for you? Okay, cool. You want to relive that time when you fell down on your butt in the first day? Um, this is Mr. Gene O'Connor. We're already writing one of the one of the good songs.
I mean to capture some Long life for your money back Now Budgie had a heart attack Only used his wings for dusting Told me he was everlasting No more cleaning out the cage He'll go nasty stuff with sage Hoover, hoover, hoover Isolated calls Imprisoned by a deal Homie for avenging walls Living with my blood pressure And problems I had made to measure From Pedro show. Uh oh. We got the whammy bam. Yep. And uh, that was Plebes with uh, Redhead, New Alliance record. It's Martin uh, Tambervich, first singer with me, uh, D. Boone and Georgie. We were called the Reactionaries in 78. He was on sax along with Gino Pusta on singing and clarinet and Ken Starkey on the guitar. Before that, we had uh, from live February uh, 2003, 
Rocket from the Tombs uh, reunited with the uh, uh, of course missing Peter Laffner but it was Dave Thomas put together uh, some cats that played in the old band like Cheetah Chrome and then they had guests like uh, Dick Lloyd play guitar too and that was Amphetamine and we started out oh Actually, that's what we started with. The second song in between the plebes and Rocket from the Tombs was Desperate Bicycles with the Housewife song, something from England, late 70s. I'm on the other side here, so I couldn't read the uh, playlist, but it's time for Brother Matt and his spin cycle. Cool. This is going to be something that uh, did with... Uh, Michael and Sally Rich down at Karma Studios. This is a little sample of something that they did with Shayla and and me. So here we go. <laughs>
focused and misdirected. The bullet and the flesh, the mind and the spirit, the sound when you hear it, the oppressor and the resistor, the brother and the sister. We are now walking with the ghosts of the dead. We are alive with the spirit of our
a cushion on you My mind don't need it, but my body do A little bit of love and attention for you Hello, we're only strangers, they don't need to know I gotta come clean, I gotta come clean Ooh, I gotta cushion on you
like a fucking meat sack. Say you wanna suck me, say you wanna fuck me. I don't wanna touch you. You're just a topic ground. 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 You miss that again, you miss me. Big waste on the earth.
Lot from Pedro show. Well, I misgaged the time in there for some reason. So I had to come down on the pop group. We didn't catch the ending there, but that was a live version of We Are Time. Before that, Dumping Ground by Meat Man. Before that, What's Going On by Third Grade Teacher. And right after Brother Matt's spin cycle was One Two Crush on You by The Clash. Sorry about that. Uh, getting back into radio zone and more together with that kind of thing as far as timing out the things uh, end of hour two here for the Ju- uh, July 14, 2003 version of the Watt and Pedro show thank you very much for the spin cycle brother man cool, thank you. everybody sit tight for hour three
July 14, 2003. It's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro show. Here's part 27 of the fourth tower of Inverness. Those of you who have listened faithfully should know that Dr. Missoula's dragon, that symbol manifested from his unconscious, came not just from his unconscious, but from another plane of consciousness, which is the same thing, of course. Now that the alchemist's secret laboratory has gone up in a loud kaboom, we may rest easily, for the dragon has certainly gone for good, I think. However, little Frida was in the laboratory when it exploded, and she too seems to be gone for good, for there is no trace of her either. And so, as we look in on the old mansion of Inverness, we see Jack Flanders with a heavy heart and two equally heavy bags filled with nickels and dimes, moving slowly through the walls of Inverness, making his way once again toward that mysterious fourth tower. As I pass these portraits, gilded frames and tapestries, it all seems so long ago. The Madonna Vampira, gone from Inverness, lying dead upon a cold marble slab in the palace of that strange lotus land. These hollow walls she lived within, her narrow, surreal realm of endless hallways. I guess I really did love her, in a way. Even after Auntie's warning, she still... Oh, it was all so impossible. Foolish of me to, to fantasize. She would have devoured me, picked her teeth with the pointed parts of my soul. Still, her heart was good. She knew compassion. And yet, there it was. That destructiveness. It ran in her blood. I don't care to think about it anymore. Ah, the mirrored door. Once again, Jack enters through that long mirror door. And again, he lunges forward and dives through the oval mirror that waits further down the corridor. He stands at the edge of the abyss, watching the clouds slowly drifting below. And then, tying his two sacks of coins to his belt, he moves across the aluminum extension ladder that bridges across the gulf and into the fourth tower of Inverness. That music, once again luring me on. Oh, I wonder, will I ever find its source? And for what purpose have I been chosen? Jack continues up the stone steps that circle higher and higher into the tower. He stops at the first door. He presses his ear against the heavy oak planking. No, the music comes from higher up. He moves on up the steps. He comes upon a second door. He stops and listens. Still, the music comes from higher up. He continues up the steps, higher and higher as they seem to spiral endlessly upwards. But this time he's certain that somewhere, behind that door that stands before him, lies the secret he so perseveringly pursues. Twice before I've entered this tower, and each time I've entered a different door and discovered a strange world. And now, what awaits me behind this third door? Space. 
clouds drifting by. I don't understand. But as Jack stands there in that doorway that bridges into nothingness, forms begin to take shape. He sees the faint outline of mountains off in the distance. And then, for the first time, he notices a rope ladder fastened to the bottom of the doorframe. He checks out the knots, concludes that it's safe, and begins the long climb down. This sure is weird. Hanging on this ridiculous rope contraption. I'm going to be mighty disappointed if it ends in midair. He continues down, watching the rectangular doorway suspended in space and becoming smaller and smaller as he descends. Finally, he can see a faint green below him, and as he continues downward, the green begins to shape itself into thick vegetation. Trees begin to protrude from the tangled mass. Long round branches that look like snakes weave in and out, slithering through thick leaves and vines. Oh, it's a strange jungle that Jack has descended upon. Hmm. There's a lot of vines. Looks like I should be able to use the old Tarzan means of transportation. Let's see. Yeah, this one seems plenty strong. I'll give it a try. Ah, fantastic. I'll try another. Oh, wow, that's some way to travel. Here I go again. Oh, 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 wow. Well, so much for that. Boy. This vegetation is sure thick. Whew. Those giant flowers give off enough perfume to knock one senseless. I better get moving. But in which direction? Hmm. It's a good question. Ah, yes. In that direction. Jack starts off, following the sound of the music. But as he continues, the music begins to fade. That's strange. I'm positive I've been going in the right direction, but now I can hardly hear it. Hey, hey, what's this? A path. A very small path, but it's a path, and it's something to follow. And so Jack continues. The vegetation becomes less dense. Patches of sky and sunlight can be seen through the lacework branches above his head. The path widens into a small gravel road, and he continues. And then he stops suddenly. For there before him, rising out of the steaming jungle, is a city. Wow. But not like any city Jack has ever seen. The walls surrounding the city gleam and sparkle in the sun as though the tile were set with precious gems, while the mosaic tile itself appears almost Arabic, Arabic, with strange, haunting designs. And above, beyond the walls, the tops of the towers flash like pure gold in the sun. Jack sits down right in the middle of the road. But 
But this is just like a city out of my childhood dreams.
Chinese song. One, two, three, four.
Watt from Pedro Show. Uh, much respect to Craig there. Passed away. That's something he did called Easy Way. Song called Underdog. Uh, Memphis music scene, not the same since he's passed on. Nurse Rocket, much heart to you. Before that was Frank Jordan, a Sacramento band with always temporary Chinese song. Before that, Liston Ship, Echo Park band here. I'm going to be recording six or seven or eight songs with them in a couple weeks. Um, before that was TVI Live from that Coachella gig April 27, 2003 uh, got a lot of uh, recordings of that people who gave me you know people out in the crowd a lot of people had tape recorders I think it was wild uh, first time I really heard something from there it wasn't enough uh, Ron Ashton a little more lead guitar, huh? <laughs> Still pretty intense. Yeah, kind God, of I was sick. Of standing wherever you're at in the crowd. Yeah, maybe he was <laughs> in front of Iggy. <laughs> Iggy was all over. <laughs> he was all over. It was so trippy. You know, I would look. I was watching him the whole time, and sometimes he'd run. I couldn't see him. Like the second song was down on the street, and. um I couldn't see where he was because I was trying to keep focused because the fever, the sickness was on me. And uh, I, I feel this rumbling. I mean, besides the bass, you know, like my amps are moving around. I, I look, I was standing pretty close to my uh, amps. And I look over my shoulder and Iggy's on top of the amps humping them, my bass amp. So intense. It was like he looked at me. And I was like, "Whoa, yeah, we're doing it." <laughs> they jumped off, and he danced in front of me. He would do that from time to time. He'd come up and dance in front of me. He was so <laughs> I couldn't believe as a teenager. I would have never imagined I would be there doing that, <laughs> like that. Kind of imagined it sometimes, but <laughs> never thought it would actually. Happened to me. Speaking of listenership, I should tell you about the one ocean voyage I've had. You know, all my paddling, the kayak's been in the harbor here, Los Angeles Harbor. And, uh, but one time I go down there last week, in fact, and there were signs up saying there was too much bacteria and no swimming allowed. And even though I'm not swimming, I don't want to splash a bunch of bacteria up and get sick. So, you know, I'm already down there with the kayak and everything. So I wheel it over to the side of Cabrillo Beach, which is outside the breakwater. And I launched out through there, through the waves, which wasn't, the surf wasn't up too big. So getting out wasn't too bad. As soon as I got past the breakers, I mean, it's different than in the harbor because, uh, I don't know, there's currents from all over the place. So you're bobbing. Some ducks out there, some birds bobbing. Huge kelp beds. So I start paddling towards the lighthouse along the cliffs. And I go under this part we call Sunken City right here. Right? 
Brother Matt, not yeah, even right 100 feet from here. And I've always seen it from this side. And what it, We call it Sunken City, but it was actually the road that went along the coast here. In 1932, there was an earthquake. It, in fact, burned down downtown uh, Long Beach. Uh, threw the road down here, and all the asphalt cracked up and made like lean-tos and a very trippy earth sculpture and that's why we call it sunken city looks like a town almost but when you're down there on the water looking up at it it's really trippy because you can see up the cliffs we got you know 100 200 foot cliffs and i've never seen really sunken city from the water side that close and it's still trippy <laughs> yeah you know all these years in pedro I've never seen that so i'm still paddling you know making sure i'm not getting in too close to the rocks the waves you know trying to push in, so I'm paddling out. And I come up to Point Furman, where the lighthouse is, and that's where the cliffs get really high. And the loud men, which is what I call the wild parrots, they're all chirping up above me, but they're little bright green parrots from um, Mexico, or Conyers. And uh, their wings are so tiny, and they got to beat them like crazy. And That's probably why they didn't come down, because to get back up that cliff would have been tough the pelicans came down on near me and stuff they in fact every time i come out paddling they seem uh, less and less afraid to get near and those cats they can cruise like yeah, two inches over the water cruise, man. and they come right by you in the kayak <laughs> oh man so i come around in point Furman, and there's some rocks down there and there's a cat fishing off the rocks right there i mean the waves are breaking on them and everything so I turn around, I paddle back kind of towards where I took off from, and I paddle the other way along the breakwater and the pier, bobbing along and stuff, and getting about an hour and a half in a paddling, then I got to come in. And that's kind of tough. Because, <laughs> you know, you're, it's like surfboard action, right? But you're in this kayak, and so the waves are behind you. And it pushed me, and I got a little sideways, and I actually got some water inside, but not bad. And I made it to the beach, you know. It's kind of hard. You you know, your feet aren't out there. It's hard to... Uh, didn't flip you, though, eh? No, I didn't. And didn't pearl. Didn't uh -huh. toe in and pearl. Do an endo. <laughs> but I can imagine with some rougher surf. Kind of scary. So that was my one uh, voyage I've taken out in the open ocean. Cool. I was going to go out to the mile buoy. I was thinking of sharks and your paddle looking like seal flippers. I know we don't have a lot of sharks out here, but Raymond told me about uh, these two kayakers went out to Channel Islands. They never found them. They just found the parts of kayak with big shark chomps. Yeah, just wait for the nice glassy days and just go for a little buoy cruise, go pet the seals. Yeah. <laughs> Woo!
Watt from Pedro Show. There's some uh, live banyan doing a Nels song, New Old Hat, but without Nels. That's from March 1st, 2003. It's just me, Perkins, Charles Owens on the sax, and Memphis Willie Waldman on the trumpet. Trippy little uh, version of that there. It's kind of a pants shitter for me, kind of gig, and uh, but I'm glad we did it. Here's um, some reggae from uh, Charleston, South Carolina, the Italics, Watt from Pedro Show.
was read by Harriet Cass. The as last year, where the Portobello Road passes under the Westway motorway. The first signs of violence came just as dusk was falling. Groups of youths started rushing through the dense crowd gathered under the elevated section of the motorway, where scores of loudspeakers were pounding out non-stop reggae and rock music.
that there was Corpse Hatch slash Innocent 2 by Hot for Cold. Before that, we had Red Hot from Marsha Ball, 28-8-78, Scritti Politti. And we started out with Title Dub by the Italics, or the Italics, right? Italics. Lick. <laughs> Charleston Reggae. Uh, come the end of the July 14, 2003, Watt for Pedro show, vital assistance for Brother Matt. Back in action. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're back in the flow. Be doing the shows. Um, let's see. I'm. I have to go August fifth to do this. I'm going to play with the Stooges in uh, Long Island, August eighth, and Detroit, August fourteenth. But we can get a couple shows before that. Uh, no doubt. Yeah, and then. Um, be back to do some more. I got some banging gigs for the last three Lollapaloozas. Perkins has a little pull since he's playing drums for Jane's Addiction. And uh, paddling and pedaling and plucking with my second man. Uh, finishing up the Dose record. Stuff at uh, my uh, Thunderpants studio for assorted compilations busy with the music busy with the pedaling busy with the paddling lots of busy kid but uh huh there no we're there okay so uh safe seas and stay lube uh keep your powder dry <laughs>